0: I'm not afraid to say that I really think it did. I really think running saved my life because it gave me that one positive thing to hold on to and it gave me that opportunity to prove to myself and to others that I was stronger than what my eating disorder was and that I could go on and achieve things that perhaps people kind of wouldn't have necessarily thought I could do.
1: Welcome back to the Run Alive podcast. This week's theme is being ready to tell your story so that other people can benefit from it.
0: I think, like, obviously everybody in life goes through forms of adversity and struggle. Um, and, like, you can't take away any of anyone's struggle or adversity. It's just, you know, it's, everyone has their own path and their own journey. Um, but for me, like, there have, there's been so many times within my life that I could have just given up, I could have you know decided I didn't want to pursue anything, I didn't want to challenge myself and like, people would have been absolutely totally fine with that. But I think for me like I've always wanted to prove to myself that I'm capable of achieving things that perhaps were off the cards at one point.
1: She hasn't had an easy journey, she's struggled over the years, over many years with her mental health and in particular with an eating disorder.
0: One thing that kept me going throughout my eating disorder was the fact that once I reached certain targets or certain weights, um, I was able to kind of put my trainers back on and go for a run.
2: Be prepared for a really open interview and to hear someone who's really willing to tell their story and not hide the difficult details.
0: One thing that was really important for me growing up was there was a girl at school who was about three or four years older than me who had been through an eating disorder herself. And she put time aside every single week to sit down with me. And just talk to me about anything. She'd sit and eat her lunch with me. She'd do something every single week that made me feel normal.
1: And running has been central to her life journey, so much so that she credits running with still being here today. Welcome to the Run A Life podcast, Jenny Nesbitt.
0: Hi, I'm Jenny Nesbitt. I'm 28 years old. Um, I'm a professional runner for New Balance and Uh, I kind of run distances anywhere between 3k, 5k, 10k and cross country.
1: Awesome. Jenny, what makes you come alive?
0: I think it's a really basic answer um, for me and that's kind of getting up in the morning, sitting with a coffee for 15 minutes and going out in the fresh air for a run and it kind of sets me up really well for the day and it's something I really don't think I could live without now. Um, Kind of, yeah, makes me come alive and sets me up ready to kind of do whatever I need to do in the day really. Thank you.
1: The cat and that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm already there. Um, I know that you're in Font rameau at the moment, and so I can just imagine you're like setting off into the mountains in the sunrise. It's it's an <laughs> idyllic picture. Um, what is it about like that? Is it, is it the you're at the time to yourself, or is it the exercise, or the getting moving that, that makes you come alive, or is it the caffeine? What all of them? <laughs> uh,
0: it's a bit of a hybrid, really. But I think I say to everyone, I would rather wake up 15 minutes earlier in order to allow myself to sit with a coffee for 15 minutes than to to Mm. skip it altogether um Mm. so I think it's just like having that time to myself in the morning before I kind of kick start the day and get get on with what I need to do and like obviously like sometimes you wake up and you're absolutely fried from the day before and it's just nice to kind of (laughs) sit there and ponder about what you're going to put yourself through in the next hour (laughs) before you have Mm. to go out and do it but um yeah that cliche saying of like you never regret a run or no run is ever bad is probably very true and I really would struggle kind of to not kickstart my day like that when yeah that's what I
2: really enjoy and is your favorite but if you're following that routine is your favorite run one that you do on your own or will you do you like to go out in a group what is like the perfect oh. come alive way of doing it That's a
0: really tough one. I think it really depends what sort of mood I'm in. If I'm in a really bad mood, no one wants to run with me anyway. Um, (laughs) But um, I do enjoy kind of just sticking my headphones in and listening to whatever's on my Discover Weekly and going out with with myself for an hour. Um, So I think I'd probably choose that, to be honest. Yeah, I do enjoy that time to myself. Just give me a moment to kind of think about things and think about nothing if I want to. So yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. No judgment here. And there'll be no judgment from anybody listening to this podcast. Everyone will be going, yeah, that's fine. It's it's not antisocial. It's just what we do.
1: Yeah. It's good. Running is... it's definitely running is definitely kind of my own time as well like some some people call it running away but you know there we go <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I like that I can get on board with that sometimes I'll run <laughs> with my partner and we'll literally just run next to each other in absolute silence so <laughs> mm. even when I do choose to run with somebody there's no conversation going on
2: <laughs> <laughs> we might uh, we might just go back a little bit now Jenny to um maybe let's say last year where you had um Pretty fantastic year, so you um, represented Wales at the Commonwealth Games. Congratulations. that Thank was you. obviously huge. You were flying. Um, I think you set some of your fastest times ever um, and then the, but the end of the year maybe didn't end in quite the way that you would have been hoping. You went out to the states and 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 trained super hard, and things got a bit tougher there. So take us through a year and then particularly maybe what happened at the end there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think. I definitely had a purple patch at the back end of 2021. Um, I was again in Font Remote, as I am pretty much every single year. Um, And I had a really good training block and I came back and uh, I ran some really good cross-country races. Uh, I came second at our kind of European trials. um, And I went to Eurocross in December 2021 and I finished 10th uh which i was really really pleased with um as a team we won team gold as well so it was a, a fantastic time um and off the back of that six days later i ran eight forty four indoors which was at the time i think the third fastest brit ever um you have to oh, fact check oh, that but at the time i think it was um and that we'll really take you away for it <laughs> <laughs> that that really kind of shocked me at the time ta- at the, p- the time I didn't expect it at all and I kind of had loads of momentum coming off that into the beginning of 2022 where um I went to uh Boston and ran an indoor 3k which um was I think I ran 8.48 at the time which was the standard for the world indoors um and then five days later I ran 15.19 over the 5k, which was the standard for the Commonwealth games, which is something I'd been trying to achieve for about 18 months. So at this point I was absolutely ecstatic over the moon, um, and decided not to compete at the trials for the world championships, uh, which in hindsight, I really regret. But at the time I was all eyes towards the Commonwealth games. And that's kind of where I wanted to put all my energy and put all my eggs in one basket. Um, Mm. So I took a quick break and then hopped on a plane to, uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, um, with the intention of doing, I think it was a five week training block with a 5k race at the end of it in, um, California. Um,
2: Mm.
0: so at at this point it was all like brilliant. I was living in this bubble of everything was going well. Everything felt really easy and I was getting all the results I kind of expected and more. Um, so I kind of got on the plane, got to Arizona, got to Flagstaff, uh, put my head down and cracked on with training like mm-hmm. I had been doing mm-hmm. in the UK. Um, and I think I just got a little bit carried away once I got there uh, with just kind of external kind of distractions, I think. At home, it's very mm-hmm. like you get up, you run, you come back, you rest, you run, repeat, repeat, mm-hmm. repeat. Um, mm-hmm. And this was the first time I'd kind of been out to – I'd never been to Flagstaff before, and I kind of got there and um, – there was lots going on and I wanted to be involved and I didn't want to miss out. And although I was training incredibly hard, um, I was also kind of dipping into staying up way later than I would usually probably hydrating with not water, but alcohol, um, potentially not eating the best diet. Um, whilst trying to run 90 miles a week and kind of complete workouts, which were, probably some of the hardest I'd ever done. Um, at altitude at as well. T- so, at altitude,
1: you know, yeah, just add at 7, that 000, one in as well.
0: <laughs> at 7,000 feet, which is like the highest I'd ever trained and lived at. And I'm not very mm. good at sleeping mm. at altitude as it is. Like I'm pretty, pretty poor. And yeah, I think I was trying to burn the candle at both ends a little bit. Um, but also, <laughs> in, like, in like looking back at my training and stuff, I was still... Doing things that were better than I ever had done so in my head I was like cool I can do both like I'm superhuman like nothing's gonna touch me uh, <laughs> and um I, I went I went down to California did this 5k uh and it went really well uh I kind of did as my coach asked me to do I think it was like sit in for 3k and then just kick down the last 2k um mm. and it was great felt great kind of ticked that was Like Fab, I'll go back to altitude now mm. for a couple of weeks and come back and do another at which point I was going to come home at the end of that. So I was like, cool, good, great plan. Um, and everything just kind of, I just got a bit carried away after that point. I think I was perhaps a little bit confident in my own, too, too confident in my own ability and a little bit cocky. And, um, I wanted to kind of enjoy the the party. I don't even know if it was a party lifestyle, but a lifestyle that's slightly different to what I was currently following which involved yeah yeah, later nights a bit more alcohol and a lot more socialization than I was used to um and at this point I decided I was never going to go back to the UK because life in Flagstaff was way better than (laughs) home um (laughs) and you can see where this is going can't you (laughs) and no one could tell me any different so I like I carried on with the plan, went back to California again, did my 5K, ran a PB around 15, 17. Um, so I was like, brilliant. Like, this is great. Brilliant. If I stay out yeah. here, I'm going to be 14:30 in no, no time. <laughs> um, and my uncle actually lives in San Diego. So I was like, fab! I'll go and stay with him for a month. I've got like six weeks left on my visa or whatever. I'll just stay mm. out in America until that kind of just goes and I'll have to come home at that point. Um, and then, yeah, got even more carried away. I think I ended up drinking beer every single night and staying up to one o'clock in the morning and performances, you know, eventually started to go downhill as did my kind of training and stuff. Um, and I think at that point I was so oblivious to what I was doing to my body, um, that I kind of just carried on because I was really enjoying my life. Um, where it did probably, it? So
1: where did it end up?
0: It ended up with I did one more race before I left. Ended up with a, I think I ran fifteen thirty-five or something in the five k, which at the time was probably like my third or fourth fastest ever so I was like oh mm-hmm. not too bad like I'm probably a bit tired I should you know it's time to go home now before I get mm-hmm. my you know athlete visa and come back out to America I was living in this absolute dreamland like I remember ringing up my agent and being like oh yeah I've decided I'm going to live in America now so um yeah can you just sort me out an athlete visa and I'll go home get it all <laughs> sorted and get back on a flight back to America um <laughs> with literally no kind of uh understanding about how expensive that was going to be like how I was going to survive what I was how I was going where I was going to live what I was going to drive um but in my head it seemed like a fantastic idea um and I think yeah I, was, I kind of put it in my life where I kind of just wanted to do what I wanted to do and no one was mm. going to tell me any different um and I wish like looking back that I took on board people's advice and like listened to them a lot sooner than I did it took a good four or five months of being at home for me to realize that I was living in cloud cuckoo land and by this mm. point things had gone okay. very south very fast so yeah um it was yeah. what does that
2: mean Jenny what where, after the time at home where were you at like performance wise physically mentally what was where we where did you get to
0: yeah, everything was kind of a bit all over the place, to be honest. I had a few health issues kind of in the lead up to the Commonwealth Games, which like um, looking back now and kind of going a bit deeper into were probably very all very related to kind of stress. Um, okay. mm. And at the time, I didn't realise that. My coach didn't realise that. We just thought, oh, maybe you're a bit tired, like we'll rest up, get ready for the Commonwealth Games. But I think because the Commonwealth Games have been something on my mind for basically four years and because they were in mm. Birmingham, I really wanted to perform well there. And I put a lot of my, a lot of pressure on myself to do that. Um, mm. And I think I kind of started to push things even harder at a point where my body was already starting to shut down from its previous mm. American adventures. Um, and I think, yeah, it kind of all came to a head pretty much in the month of the Commonwealth games, to be honest. Um where <laughs> i gonna this is probably a bit too much information but I ended up in AE one night because I was constipated for like three weeks um oh, which gosh. like now upon reflection we think's completely due to stress
2: um mm-hmm. but it
0: was just like yeah it was a bit of a roller coaster ride going into it um and I didn't perform the way I wanted to and coming off the back of that I think I just I just wanted to shut down my season rest and kind of come back to training again in September um yeah but yeah it will kind of like even from September onwards I just I'm the sort of personality who will go hard and hard and hard Mm. and push myself Mm. and push myself and it's only this year that I've kind of understood a little bit more how to like listen to my body but up until then Mm. it was like how much how far can I put myself into a bucket to get the performance I want or what's going to come first am I going to sink Mm. or am I going to swim? Um, so yeah I think yeah
1: (laughs) when when we were preparing for the interview I think you said it it was kind of diagnosed or described as overtraining and underperforming syndrome yeah what 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 does that actually mean and how did it exhibit itself for you
0: yeah so at the beginning of this year um things have been pretty poor for about four or five months um and my performances were so far away from what I expected myself and what was my normal. Um, So Mm -hmm. I went and saw a specialist um, in Manchester called Dr. John Rogers and he kind of sat me down and said, yeah, you've got overtraining syndrome or underperforming syndrome you can choose which one you'd like to use to describe <laughs> it I was like brilliant that sounds great um and he <laughs> he kind of just said to me like your body's been running on prob- probably just adrenaline for a few months and it's yeah. yeah it's got to the point now where like if you don't take a bit of time off and kind of let- allow your body to reset like your your whole system's going to be fatigued, like, neurally, physiologically, like, psychologically, everything's going to be fatigued, and the deeper you kind of let yourself go into this state, the harder it is to climb back out of it again. Mm -hmm. Um... So I was sat there thinking, oh, yeah, okay, I'll take three days off. You know, I'll get to Sunday, Monday, I'll go again. It'll be fine, no problem. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, three whole days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That,
0: that'll sort out all my issues. Yeah, it's all right. I can still do sixty-five miles this week. I'll be back at ninety next. <laughs> um, and he kind of looked at me like, mm, Jenny, no, that's not that's not <laughs> the the way we're going to go about this. But I was like, right, okay, wow. so. um My boyfriend and I booked a holiday like that night. We kind of uh, got on a flight. I think we went to Parma for a week. Um, At which point I'd rather be like at home training right now. This is not fun. Mm -hmm. But okay, I'll try and enjoy my Mm -hmm. holiday. Um, (laughs) And I kind of got back and I was like, okay, reset. We'll go again. Uh, And much to my distress, that was not the case. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, my body needed a lot more time than that. So... I think I could probably classify myself as someone who's addicted to exercise uh, and, mm. <laughs> and running in particular, like getting up in the morning, having a coffee and going out for a run is how I become alive. Um, mm. that, yeah. The whole thought of actually just taking multiple weeks off running completely was too mm. hard for me to process mm. um, psychologically. I just couldn't sit at home and not, not go out and exercise um so, we came so how to did you deal with that oh, yeah, <laughs> we yeah, com- yeah we came to a compromise whereby um i would run no more than 30 miles a week but i could <laughs> <Sure>. run <laughs>
1: sure every day if I that's wanted like, to That's like my
2: weekly mileage <laughs> <laughs> for everybody else listening to this don't feel inadequate okay, no in, com-
0: in comparison to where, what I usually run which is around 90 miles a week that was a significant sure. yeah. a significant yeah. cut back okay. um with... well
2: now, now now everyone can feel inadequate <laughs> <anyway. No. laughs>
0: um, so that was kind of what we came to and I did that for probably about five weeks in the end um mm. which was the longest I've ever had away from kind of training hard. Um, mm. Like if you look back at the days off I have in a year, usually it's probably no more than about 10, including about mm. a four day block of break as well.
2: Mm-hmm. So this mm. was like,
0: for me, this is really <laughs> challenging, like psychologically yeah, sure. more than anything else. Yeah. Like for me, it was really, really hard. Um but at the back of, the back of my is- head, go on, sorry. Mm
2: no i was i was gonna ask how is the pr- sort of i guess bring us up to date a bit how is that process going and and is it yielding because it's it, just hearing what you say there's a, almost everyone that comes on this podcast when we ask them the come alive question movement and being out there that is absolutely part of it and it is absolutely how so many of our guests and so many of our listeners they, they just build their lives in you know around that and into that so you kind of achieve this. This compromise deal. Is it but that's quite I can also hear you were paying a price, right? Is it mm-hmm. paying off? Where how's it going? Where are you at now?
0: Do you know what? It's been far more challenging than I ever thought it would be. I kind of assumed give myself six weeks and I'd be back to where I was in my purple patch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been so far removed from that, uh, I can't even like begin to kind of describe it, I think like it's nothing's come easily ever since I began back training again and it's taken mm. from kind of July to now to to see some sort of progress and that's for me mm. it's felt like a really really long time mm. um mm. and like although I've seen small kind of progression in training I think like psychologically my confidence has been dented so much that I struggle to like back myself now a little bit, like in the past, yeah. like I get confidence from training, whereas at the moment I don't. And mm-hmm. that's been really, really hard. Um, like, And my results in the few races I have done have been so far away from where my personal bests are as well. And like, I stand on the start line with all these girls I've competed against since I was 15 and I should I'm like I should be amongst these girls like this is like this is normal and then you're like out the back door after a mile and it's it's quite hard to kind of go back again to training like reset and then try again and again I'm not afraid of like showing up and not running well in races because Mm -hmm. I believe like there's a really like fundamental part of that you can race yourself fit and like you've got to put yourself in mm. those environments in order to kind of bring yourself and push yourself on um but at the same mm. time it's been really really hard um mm. and I think <laughs> this I was saying I was saying to my coach yesterday actually like I feel like this year has just thrown purple after purple and not be back every single time mm. I feel like I'm nearly there again um like three mm. weeks ago I was about to run I was going to run a half marathon and I actually thought I was in pretty decent shape I'd done some lactate testing in the park which uh, yeah. during a session which kind of reflected some of like my best ever kind of uh mm. sessions and i was like okay i'm in pretty decent shape i reckon i can run quite well and then i got covid so bad um and it <laughs> literally oh. knocked me dead for like days and like i'm still really struggling oh. to kind of return from that now i don't think being mm. at altitude's helped to be honest but um no. it's like i've gone back to square one again and it's like how many times can i pick myself up off the floor in yeah. one year and keep yeah. convincing myself that I'm going to return to where I was and then progress mm. from there. Um, mm. cause at the yeah. moment it feels like I'm so far away. I have like deep down belief that I'm capable of achieving things that I haven't done yet. And mm. I'm like massively driven and you know, it's, you can't pretend like there's not going to be years in sport, where, which aren't challenging. Mm. Um, sure. mm. but it's also like <laughs> yes I, re- I had an absolute breakdown yesterday i was like how many times can i keep trying to do something and it's not working and i'm just turning up yeah. every day and just going through the motions at the moment to try and do something like like i don't know if i'm going to be what, able to achieve or not
2: what's keeping you going what is uh, allowing you to kind of well metaphorically and literally keep the faith put one foot in front of the other what where's that coming from
0: I think it goes back to like when I was younger, I think. And I, I, uh, I said this to my coach yesterday as well. Um, but when I was younger, there were so many years I kind of missed through kind of mental health issues, through illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I don't want to keep wasting time. I feel like I'm wasting, t- I have a big fear of wasting time and I feel like mm-hmm. this year I've really wasted time because I haven't gone to races I've wanted to do. I haven't performed well at races i wanted to do and I haven't progressed in my training, like I would like to, um, and I think that that is that fear of wasting time that I, keeps yeah. me showing up every day because I'm like, if I don't show up today, mm. I've wasted another day. I've wasted another two mm. runs, like, and I think mm. that kind of deep fear of wasting time keeps mm. me showing up every day. But I also think like the the drive, passion, and motivation I have for this sport keeps me showing mm. up every day as well because I believe I'm better than I am. And I believe yeah. that I can go on to achieve things I haven't yet done. But it's, you mm-hmm. know, you can say all those things, but until you actually kind of show up and do them, it's, you know, it's two
1: different things. <laughs> no. Well, l- listen, like I can hear that drive, I can hear that passion coming, just coming through and uh, from you. Uh, now and you know you've been running. You've been running for years. You've been running seriously from from for a very from a very young age. Um, take us back a little bit because you mentioned you know mentioned me- mental health struggles and and that's kind of playing into this feeling now and this drive yeah. of not wanting to waste any more time. Um, that was as a teenager, I think. So tell us a little bit about what what that was and your eating disorder. Yeah, as well.
0: definitely. So I was I, I was a kid who was very, very sporty, and I did every sport under the sun. You'd find me on the cricket pitch, the rugby field, the lacrosse pit, like everything. Um, mm. And uh, at school, I wanted to be on the athletics team, so I had to run the distance events because nobody else wanted to. But at the time, <laughs> I kind of got into athletics. It coincided with um, being di- diagnosed with an eating disorder at the age of 12, um, which was really obviously really challenging, but at the time Mm. I kind of didn't realize how like damaging it was to myself. And I think there's a lot of people who probably don't realize that at the point at Mm. that point. Um, but yeah, so I was diagnosed with an eating disorder when I was 12 and I kind of suffered with that was in and out of therapy until I was about 21. So pretty Mm. much 10 years of my life was Mm. engulfed with this, this eating disorder um and luckily like massively grateful to my family and my mum and my dad especially who kind of took time off work to care for me at home rather than like putting me in Mm. to hospital um and I I had to miss a lot of time at school and things but one thing that really kept me going was my passion and my love for running um Mm. I only had only like had recently gotten into it before I was diagnosed with an eating disorder. So it was all really, really new to me, but I, Mm. I knew from beginning, like it's something I really enjoyed doing. It was so different to like doing team sports because it's so individual to the point where like you, you get out of it, what you put into it. um, Mm. And it's like, you can't blame anybody else for anything that goes wrong. It's all down to Mm. you. Um, And I think, one thing that kept me going throughout my eating disorder was the fact that once I reached certain targets or certain weights, um, I was able to kind of put my trainers back on and go for a run. Um, and I think that for me is like, it's crazy as it sounds, was the thing that saved mm. me throughout my eating disorder and it stopped me from mm. kind of not not getting through it. <laughs> mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, so that's actually really interesting because um, I don't know that much about eating disorders. I feel like I need to learn from you and from others. But um, in my head, I immediately think, okay, well, that means um, like this is a sort of goal weight in terms of getting down to a goal weight or, or, or that kind of thing. But what you, I think, what you just said is actually the, the running kind of saved you because you know once you got up to a goal weight, then you could go running again. Is is, is that right? Yeah
0: yeah pretty much and I think like although I was struggling mentally so much there was a part of me that understood that in order to perform well you have to be healthy um Mm -hmm. and I think it took me a long time to understand this and accept it but once I got on board with it it was something that I was able to focus on away from the like consumption of my eating disorder and I was able to yeah. separate it apart from that um and it was able to kind of put me on the straight and narrow to to finding like a healthier balance mm-hmm. um I'm not saying it was yeah. like straightforward and like it involved a lot of therapy I think I was in and cams three mm-hmm. times a week at one point um mm-hmm. there was like significant relapses along the way but it was something that yeah allowed that separation and gave me a goal that was kind of attainable i guess um that didn't involve thinking oh well if i you know i skip this meal i'm gonna achieve this way it was more like Mm. oh if i eat this meal it's part of my training like this is part of my training Mm. if i do this i can go for a run on saturday um and i think Mm. for me having that was far more important than writing down my thoughts and my feelings, far more important than talking to other people. Um, yeah. And, it, yeah, I think that's where the passion for the sport grew and that's where my drive and motivation, like, came from, I think, and it still exists from that from that time because I remember how challenging and how hard it was and how hard I worked in order mm. to get myself back onto a start line.
2: Mm. Yeah. you And you've done something for me there as well, which is in often my – understanding of these kind of dynamics is i kind of end up seeing running in the sport as almost like the bad guy actually as part of the problem but what your change completely changed my mindset on here is that for you running the kind of the goal of being fit and healthy enough to get out there and pursue your passion was absolutely part of the solution and sort of i imagine in many ways still is so that's a real mind sort of bender for me mm. um and just the, the courage that you're talking about it with is the straightforwardness is actually pretty mind-blowing as well jenny
0: yeah, I think, that, I think that's still something that really frustrates me to this day is that people associate exercise negatively with eating disorders. Mm. And mm. That, I'm not saying it's not, a, you know, it's not. It can significantly mm. impact people in a negative way. Um, but I don't think it's given enough respect these days as to like positive impact it can have on people. Like it's yeah. like mental health. There's so many, you know, different Areas of mental health, but a lot of them. If you go to a doctor or you see uh, a psychologist, they'll suggest you to get outside, to exercise, to walk, to find a hobby you enjoy. But when it comes to eating disorders, it's like you're bed bound. You can't go outside. You can't see daylight. It's like all these things that like are not good for your mental health. And I think Mm. it's giving people an opportunity to have ownership of exercise in order to help them as well which is really important
2: yeah so is that a very clear message for you that you'd like to kind of offer in a way to people in that community and people who are working with people with eating disorders and, and maybe people on this path that like almost that it's very countercultural to that community what you're saying I'm hearing
0: yeah definitely and I think like it has to be done in a a manner that's safe and sustainable and probably monitored that you can't just like Mm -hmm. let someone who's in the depths of an eating disorder go out and run every single day because that's Mm. not healthy either. But I think if you Mm. can set it up so it's understood from both parties, what the terms and conditions say are of it, I think it can have a massively positive impact on anybody's recovery.
1: Without wanting to put words in the mouth, but kind of wanting to put words in your mouth, Jenny, you did say I think you've said <laughs> that running literally saved your life.
0: Yeah, it literally, and I'm not afraid to say that I really think it did. I really think running saved my life because it gave me that one positive thing to hold on to, and it gave me that opportunity to prove to myself and to others that I was stronger than what my eating disorder was and that mm. i could go on and achieve things that perhaps people kind of wouldn't have necessarily thought i could do
1: mm. yeah. so what would you say to so i've got two daughters uh, the eldest is 11 at the moment um you know what would you say to young girls that kind of age starting to get into sport and athletics um you know, starting to get into that t- time of life where they might be faced faced with similar pressures, similar challenges. What would your message be for them?
0: I think one of the most important things is to find somebody you feel comfortable speaking to, Um, and that I think most of the time that's probably not going to be your mum or your dad. It's some it's either going to be a friend or someone who's in feeling in, vulnerable or in a similar situation to you. Uh I think one thing that was really important for me growing up was there was a girl at school who was about three or four years older than me who had been through an eating disorder herself. And she put time aside every single week to sit down with me and just talk to me about anything. She'd sit and eat her lunch with me. She'd do something every single week that made me feel normal. Um, And I think being able to find that in some capacity is like really important because, you, it's got to be relatable to a point I think uh and I mm-hmm. think it's hard to take up what well, I would personally find hard to take on board um kind of advice from someone who perhaps hasn't been through a similar experience mm-hmm. um which is why I'm so passionate about kind of sharing my story and giving up my time to help other people because I think being able to show somebody that you've been like you know through a horrific experience but look i'm here today and i'm you know i've run for great britain i've been to two commonwealth games like i've achieved all these things um it, it, it's not the end of the road because you have you know you've been through a really hard time um so i think yeah i think the, the thing i that i think is most important is finding somebody or to talk to or to listen to an experience from somebody else
2: that's fantastic, and I think you do talk about this absolutely brilliantly. And I think you're offering a real, genuine service to to girls and boys and 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 anyone kind of going through that stage of life. And as Ed said, facing those those pressures. Um, if it's okay, can we um, think about the future a bit as well? Then we've done a bit of looking back. Yeah. We we've got a sense of where you are at the moment. Maybe not exactly where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe dare to dream a bit and 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 think about what what might the next year or so. What goals have you got? What's coming up for you?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think like even though this year hasn't gone the way I wanted to do, it to do, I think I can draw on a lot of things that I've kind of gained from this year as well. Like there's so many times I could have thrown the towel in and kind of given up, and I haven't. Um, and I think it builds a really positive mindset going forward. But I I am probably more driven and determined than i give myself credit for and i'd like to kind of channel that energy into when i get fit fitter uh into that as well and use and combine them both together in order to kind of achieve the goals i want to um obviously next year there's the olympics but i think right now it's a little bit beyond my reach but alongside the olympics there's also the european championships there's a world cross-country championships there's a Willed indoors. There's some road races. There's so many opportunities that they're that are laid out for kind of achieving goals and things that I think I can kind of grasp hold of um, and mm-hmm. use to my advantage. Um, I think for me the biggest thing next year is I want to run under fifteen fifteen for the five k, which is the standard for the European Championships. And whether or not I get selected, I don't care. But I want to. Hold the 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 standard for selection. Um, so I think for me yeah, that's the biggest yeah. goal, kind of in the next six months. Yeah.
2: And alongside that, outside of like the pure performance side of 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 running, and by the way, we'll be everyone listening to us be massively pulling for you and, and hoping <laughs> that you get there for sure. But uh, alongside that, how are you framing your sort of journey alongside your running into the next year or so? How do, how do you think about that?
0: I think. I think, like, it's really important to kind of use process goals um, to understand, like, what I am achieving. Uh, I very much have always been someone who, if I don't run a PB or if I don't win a race, then I've failed. And I've Mm. had to reframe that kind of mindset in the last Mm. year to kind of look at ways to kind of mark achievements that aren't pbs or winning um so whether that's kind of like in i think it was june it was start standing on the start line of a 1500 meters and getting to the end of it and it feeling okay and that was that was a process goal for me i was like great okay i've ticked that i can move on to the next thing now um and I, i think it's like finding something that kind of maintains that forward momentum um rather than like you just sitting there stagnating for six months because you don't run a PB um Mm -hmm. so I think it's yeah it's writing down like small process goals that you can tick off in order to achieve the big outcome there's no point in me sitting here now and fifteen fifteen being my only goal because it's gonna it's gonna get very hard very boring very quickly um so yeah I think it's like it's like getting through the training camp. It's standing on the start line of the next race. It's taking away what I learned from that, then implementing that into the next training block before then, you know, running a 5K and then seeing how that feels, taking, you know, things I learned from that and moving on. So it's small steps along the way rather than, trying right. to do one giant
2: leap yeah. from COVID to fifteen fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I think if, if we ever get Run Alive podcast T-shirts made, I reckon they're going to have something like Love the Process written on them <laughs> or something because there's so many wise people like you who strive and achieve amazing things, but also you, so often you, you, you guys come back to, you got to love the process, you got to trust the process, you got to take the wins yeah. along the way. That might be our... I don't know, team However, to like, to think
0: however about. like annoying that statement is as well. It's like you, know, <laughs> you gotta trust the process. It's like, oh my god, how many times can I trust the process? Like <laughs> But it is so true. It's a, it's a
2: cliche. It's a cliche for a reason, isn't it? It's yeah. just, it's right, it's true.
1: There was another famous uh, running podcast who Whose host we may or may not have interviewed for this season that ha- has very similar <laughs> yes. T-shirts. So I it's think we might similar. have to stay away from that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, right.
2: If I just literally nicked that from that <laughs> yeah. to, okay. That's my sub subcon- my subconscious working against me there. Oh, I love it. Um, what about
1: after you step off the track? I mean, well, hopefully you never step off the track, but you know, after you maybe have achieved the, the, those goals, um, what are you thinking about, like, post-running wise? Yeah, I
0: think to confirm I'll definitely be that like eighty year old woman that's still getting up in the morning and going <laughs> for a run. <laughs> um, Good. <laughs> but I think like for me something that's really important is giving back to the sport in some capacity. Like I've been so fortunate to kind of interact and come across so many people that have put me on a path to where I am today. Um so I think for me like giving back in whatever capacity that is, uh is really important. I'd love to go round like clubs and speak to young girls. and guys about kind of that Mm -hmm. that period of time when you're kind of going from adolescence and kind of how you can manage that alongside Mm. kind of, you know, developing within the sport and getting to university and still like continuing and not dropping out. I think the dropout rates in athletics or in sport itself. So massive Mm. around that kind of 18, 19 year old age Mm. age range. Um, I'd love to kind of, yeah, have the opportunity to to kind of give back in in that way. Um, I'd also love to get more into coaching, I think. Um, I don't know whether that's Because you're doing a bit of coaching already. Yeah, so I do a little bit of coaching on the side. I coach just three athletes at the moment. Um, One who actually ran a a PB this weekend at the York Marathon, which he was buzzing about, and I was absolutely buzzing for him. So, like, that, for me, that gives me such great pleasure as well seeing other people achieve their goals because i know how hard it is um and i know how hard they work um because they have to do what i set them uh- <laughs> 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 uh, to see them kind of achieve as well like that's like just as great as me running a pb so i think yeah being able to kind of give back in multitude of ways um i'd really enjoy doing
1: So, um, in fact, we we haven't touched on one of one of the biggest um, stories in your life, which was how you actually reached a point where you couldn't even walk, and you know got from that point to become mm-hmm. to running, you know, running, <laughs> representing your country again. Um, but there are other there are other articles and podcasts on that that people could go look up. We won't we won't, <laughs> we won't delve into that at this point in the interview. But um, what's really coming across in what you said is um that's actually really important for you to use your experience and tell your tell your story um what why is that important to you um yeah maybe just to finish like what's what what is it about that 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 you feel is is so important
0: i think like obviously everybody in life goes through forms of adversity and struggle mm. um and like you can't take away any of anyone's struggle or adversity it's just you know it's everyone has their own path and their own journey. Um, but for me, like there have, there's there been so many times within my life that I could have just given up. I could have, you know, decided I didn't want to pursue anything. I didn't want to challenge myself. And like, people would have been absolutely totally fine with that. But I think for me, like I've always wanted to prove to myself that I'm capable of achieving things that perhaps were off the cards at one point. Um, like you said, like there was a period of time where I was bed bound and, you know, I had no desire to go out for a run and no one expected me to ever return to the sport. Um, but I was too (laughs) driven and too determined to kind of give it up. And, um, I went on to achieve things beyond my wildest dreams. Um, and I think it's proof that if you put your mind to something, you know, I think you can achieve so much more than your body thinks it's capable of achieving. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think like I'd love people to kind of just give themselves a bit of encouragement and belief and, you know, give yourself a year to prove to yourself that you can do something like things take time to achieve, but there's like a, a joy in that process. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, yeah, don't shut down any kind of opportunity or belief and give yourself a chance
1: brilliant oh thank you so much jenny, jenny. it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure chatting mm-hmm. to you and you. hearing your story uh, no, where can people much. go to find out where <laughs> can people go to find out more about you um if they want to connect or, with you
0: i'm very active on instagram most of the time so jenny Nesbit one i don't know why it's got a one but it really annoys me but it's been there like <laughs> forever so it's gonna stay that way um <laughs> so that's pretty much that's pretty much where i am to be honest tiktok and okay. uh twitter and uh facebook as well it's all like jenny Nesbit, i think uh but yeah instagram is where i share my story so
1: awesome well we are so looking forward to following that story in the next few months and uh, oh, i can't wait you. to be celebrating that fifteen-fifteen with you either we've got we've got faith <laughs> for that come on
0: fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs>
2: Wow, what a conversation, and i tell you what stands out for me, Ed, is Jenny's willingness to be searingly open and honest about what she's been through, what she's going through right now, where things are. She just um, tells it how it is, how it was. Mm. Amazing.
1: So easy to talk to, but also just, yes, so open and vulnerable at the same time. Um, Yeah, I was really impressed.
2: Yeah. Um, she's very good at owning her story. And that means um, like owning the more kind of bright side, heroic, high achievements. And also, I mean, she was just talking us through there and owning it very transparently uh, uh, and authentically, some of the stuff that, that she's maybe less proud of or, or has just been really hard for her. Um, mm. Really get the sense that she reflects on and makes sense of the, um, the experience she's had in life.
1: And it's slightly un-British, that, isn't it? That kind of radical openness um, and that just sort of, uh, I think you, you might get uh, accused of oversharing sometimes mm. if you were that open all the time. Um, but my goodness, there's just so much to learn from her. Um, and, you know, she has that passion and that drive to share that story so that others you know, don't have to go through the things that she has.
2: Yeah, and I think she knows that what she's been through, I mean, her job is like a really unusual job, right? She's an elite athlete. And, mm-hmm. and she also sort of knows that her background, her teenage years with the eating disorder, um, that she also had other health struggles just kind of immediately before that. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows it's all really unusual. She knows that she's amazing. She's She's reflected on this. She's pulling out the lessons from it. And yeah. she's very, very, very sort of willing to put that at the service of other people. Mm. Um, and in just sort of reflecting on that, that's a, you're getting into the territory of mentoring there a bit, aren't you?
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what we want to focus our go-do around this week. And we're very aware that you lot out there listening to this are amazing. <laughs> you have learned lessons the hard way. And you have life journeys uh, that you can fall back on, um, but that also you could potentially share with others uh, for their benefit, coming back to our, our our theme. So it's really a challenge this week to mm-hmm. think about, is there someone out there that you could mentor, formally or informally, um, but being prepared to do that? Gary, tell us just a little bit about what it means to to be a mentor. When
2: you, when you fall into a, or come into a mentoring relationship, what you're really doing is using your experiences. Um, that might be also knowledge, networks and other things, but kind of your wisdom, you're putting it at the service of someone else. So to do that, it does require a little bit of that abstract reflection that we were hearing from from Jenny. So it does require a bit of, what's my story? What have I learned from that? What, what, what in this might be useful for other people? And then I think the other thing that stands out is that mentoring is relational. You've got to find someone or a community of people to be in relationship with, sort of for, for, perform that contract, form that partnership, and then start to offer that, that wisdom and that learning. Um, there's also plenty of listening and asking questions, but you've kind of got to be ready to share your, your stuff for the benefit of others.
1: Um, can I just say, I don't know whether it's, I think it's particularly an issue for blokes. Like Mm. I think we could easily sit around the table after Mm. running training in the pub or, you know, whenever it is watching the football Mm. uh, and just have small talk or banter and not because we don't want to share this stuff or we think we might get laughed at or we're scared of being vulnerable. Um, And that's I was really inspired by Jenny's openness really within, you know. Ten minutes. She's she's she watched, even she said was maybe slightly <laughs> too much information um, sharing stuff with us. Um, but you know that's how that's how we all learn from each other, and that's how we you know um, build relationships, isn't it? So, 100%.
2: Um,
1: yeah, just an encouragement, especially uh, for those of us who aren't used to doing that or aren't don't really find ourselves agree. in those kind of relationships. Uh, the other thing that I really I just wanted to bring out that she touched on was. Um, the commitment of that girl, when who's a couple of oh, years older than her, while she was going through her eating disorder, and how um, she just spent the time week by week to um, eat lunch with her, or you know, just spend some time with her and make her feel like do real life things with her and make her feel like this was this was normal. And I, and I think that's a key thing with a mentoring relationship as well. It's like mm-hmm. you know, just it takes the relationship, it takes the time and be ready to do that um yeah if if you enter into something like this
2: yeah and jenny's talking about that relationship that person like 14 15 years later that that is what you call meaningful impact in someone's life Mm. isn't it Mm. and so yeah let's not let maybe blokeishness or fear of appearing silly get in the way of um having some deep conversations with each other
1: awesome um Great go to, great challenge, inspiring conversation. I hope you got as much from it as we did. Um, Don't forget to follow us on social media at run underscore alive on Instagram, the run alive podcast on LinkedIn, and Run Alive Pod on Twitter. You can drop us an email at hello at runalive.co.uk. Let us know what you thought. Let us know your own experiences. Let us know if you've resonated with what Jenny said. We would love to hear from you. And we're really looking forward to the next episode next week. Thank you, Gary. Really love this one.
2: Thanks, Ed. Absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to the next one where we will do it all again.